Hi, you're about to listen to the ICGC Worldwide Podcast. Our mission is to raise global leaders, shape vision, and influence society with the principles of Christ. For more information or empowering content, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ICGC Worldwide. And now, for today's message. What are the four horns of Africa? What would they be? Now, I'm a Ghanaian. I can't speak for all of Africa. I can't speak for South Africa. I can't speak for Swaziland, Lesotho, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Namibia, Mozambique, uh, Malawi, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi. I can't speak for, I can't even speak for Togo. I can speak for Ghana to a large extent. So when I say Africa's horns, I'm just speaking it from a Ghanaian perspective. And you may not agree and, and, and think the horns are different. Maybe you are a different carpenter, so you see different horns. But I, I think there are four major horns that have scattered our people. Number one is idolatrous culture. It is something that creates superstition. This is where I think all our problems began from. It is what made it easy for us to be dominated, in the first place to be enslaved, to be colonized, because any culture that confers deity on anything it cannot explain can easily be manipulated. Because our people grew up in a, in a state where they see a big tree. They say, ah, oh, this tree is very tall. Oh, how come is it so tall? It goes up and up and up and up. It's a god. This stone is so round. It's so round. It's so very nice. It's a god. So you take it home and, and put it in front of your house and call it something and pour libation on it. You're worshiping a stone. So eventually, what happens is you bow to the thing you worship. So if you worship the earth, you cannot cultivate the earth. If you worship the tree, you can't cultivate it because it's your God. How can you go and plant your God? <laughs> That's my view. I think adulterous culture was a foundation it creates superstition in our minds. And many of us have become born-again Christian, spiritual, tongue-talking, but we are still very superstitious. I'm sure if you go to your home right now and you just see a butterfly come, hey, in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus comes against you. <laughs> blood of Jesus, bon sam, bon sam. Now, simple butterfly, he's just lost his way. He's trying to find his home, but, you know, he's in trouble. So much of our prayer is not even praying for development and economic emancipation. Much of our prayer is against the devil and demons and principalities and powers. Adulterous culture, that's number one. The second horn that I think has scattered our people was slavery. Slavery. I wasn't here when it happened, but it happened. 
Slavery creates infer created inferiority. Because any system that makes you feel that you are a commodity would devalue you. Slavery. Incidentally, slavery was not just one way. It was not just white people enslaving us. It was we selling to them. Now, anybody who thinks that human beings' value is equal to rum or trinkets or a gun definitely has a very low value for human beings. Do you know that at the height of the slave trade, we were selling horses higher than human beings? Slavery creates inferiority. Inferiority is very, very dangerous. Because, you know, when you have inferiority, you think you are great, but you look down on yourself. I would never forget, I preached a message years ago in Bahamas. I think 91 thereabouts in Miles Monroe's conference and we had a great move of the spirit and everything. I was preaching the inheritance of the black man and when I finished, this lady came to see me. She was an air hostess. They don't want to be called, they want to be called air hostess. That's where I left my sentence. So I saw this lady, and she's a black girl, black woman, black lady. And she said, what you preach today has just liberated me. I said, why? She says, you know, I'm, I'm an air stewardess, I, no, air hostess. I work on American Airlines. But he says, you know, for some reason, when I'm, when I'm serving on a flight and I see a black person, I get angry. He says, I can serve white people easily, but when I see a black person, especially if they're sitting in first class, I just get nasty because somehow I feel they don't deserve it and I don't need to serve them in that place. A black woman. You know, the greatest discrimination you will face will not come from a white person, it will come from a black person. The people who are trying to pull you down, they are not white. It comes from inferiority. When you think people are cheap, you will talk to them cheap, you will plan for them cheap, you will build for them cheap. Even when you build a road for them, you build a small road because they are not valuable. And once you don't value people, you don't even give them the best. It's a major horn of Africa. Our problem is not oil and gold. It's a cultural idolatry, slavery. The third horn is colonialism. This is a powerful horn. Because col colonialism some people say, what's colonialism? That is when we came under, in Ghana, the British rule. Colonialism creates dependency. Dependency. You don't work for yourself. You don't solve your own problems. You're always looking up to somebody to solve your problems for you. 
So even when we can solve our problems, we have to go to a co conference in Germany to try and solve it. We have to bring in some German or a Dutch consultant who doesn't know much anyway. But somehow we are comfortable to say, oh, oh well, there were white people in the place. Oh, we're talking, oh, I have some white people. They'll come and, they'll come and do it. Now, it, it it's, it's a mentality of dependency. So when you can solve your own problems, you sometimes want somebody else to solve it. It's a major horn. The problems we are dealing with is no raw material problem. It's not raw material. We can discover all the oil we want. We can discover all the gold we want. If you don't fix the real horns, you still be where you are. The fourth horn, in my estimation, is corrupt leadership. Corrupt leadership creates alienation. And this is the most destructive of all the horns that have scattered Africa. If you go to most Western countries, you see large numbers of Africa, and you ask them when they came, and you correlate it to what was happening in their country, you realize it was a leadership problem. Now you go to England, you find a lot of Zimbabweans have moved. Zimbabweans, as I know them, never moved from their country, but they've moved. Something has scattered them. Something has moved them. It's a kind of leadership that perverts what is right and doesn't empower its people to achieve anything of substance. In my mind, these are the four main horns. So, if you are American, you have to look for your own American horns. If you are British, go and look for your British horns. If you're a Nigerian, look for your Nigerian horns. I think these are my horns. They, they look like Ghanaian horns. <laughs> All right. Now, every nation, and I'm not saying that these are exhaustive, but I think these are the pivotal forces that have determined where we are today. And if we don't deal with them well, we will go in circles and circles and circles and circles and circles and circles and circles. Some of the horns we may even be angry when somebody says it's a horn because it may be something that we consider very precious to us. There's nothing more destructive in life than when the thing you love most is the thing destroying you most. It's like somebody who likes eating domido pork meat and he likes it he likes it most but it's killing him but he likes it and if you touch it you're in trouble you can touch anything but don't touch this one I'm not saying that pork meat is a sin but I'm telling you, when you are eating a meat that doesn't need oil, it comes with its own oil. <laughs> mm -hmm. there, there, must be, there, there is something wrong with it. I mean, 
It comes with its own oil, it fries it, and it has enough oil to fry others. <laughs> now, when you are in that state, you are dealing with a horn, I'm telling you. You're dealing with a horn. So, every nation has something that has become a horn. When you go to Europe, they have horns that are scattering the people. I go to Europe, they may not have the financial problems we have there, but they have serious moral problems which will eventually destroy them. Scattering the young people. The other time, you know, after, after service, a young, two young men came to me, a Ghanaian and, and his friend. He's a French young man, a white French man. And he was holding a Bible. And I said, are you, are you sure you're a French man? He said, yes, I'm, a, I'm French. Are you born again? He says, I'm born again. You read the Bible? I said, this is the first young French man I've seen who's on fire for Jesus. A whole generation has been scattered. It is almost rare to find a Frenchman who is born again, or a German or a Swiss man. They call it civilization. But it is a scattering. And they will start marrying things and marry and marry and marry and marry and start marrying things down. Because the same logic is going to be applied. Very soon you're going to marry your monkey, and then you marry your dog, and then you marry your, your cat, and then you, you marry your parrot, and then you, you, you know, and, and you keep going. How do you stop it? You can't stop it. Because something has risen up. Intellectualism has become a major horn, and it brightens, and it makes everything look inferior to it. It's a major horn. It may not be a horn of Africa, but certainly a horn in other countries. So each society has to deal with horns. How do you deal with the horns according to the vision of Zachariah? You're going to need a craftsman. I'm going to walk you through seven qualifications of a craftsman. Seven qualifications of a craftsman, then we close for tonight. What are the qualifications? What, how, how, what, how does a person become a craftsman? What, what makes me say that this person has been called of God, he's a craftsman, and he can deal with a particular horn? Well, I will root my description from the scripture to Genesis chapter 31, verse 1 to 6. Genesis chapter 31, verse 1 to 6. Sorry, Exodus, Exodus, sorry, sorry. Exodus, chapter 31, verse 1 to 6. I'm going to pick all the seven characteristics from this portion of Scripture. Because there is a description of a craftsman in this story, and I'm going to pick the characteristics from him. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. To design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in, in carving wood, and in all manner of workmanship. And I indeed, 
I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I've put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Bezalel was a craftsman in the building of the temple. But in his calling, we have seven qualities of a craftsman. The first one is that a craftsman must be called of God. You don't make yourself. God calls you. Verse 2, he says, See, I have called by name Bezalel. This is not a role that is taken presumptively. God is the one who calls a craftsman for the assignment he gives to him. And all of us cannot presume to be craftsmen in every area. Some of us are called to be supporters of craftsmen. Our role as the church is to pray that God will raise craftsmen. Now, when we say that a craftsman must be called by God, you have to understand that the person may not necessarily be born again. Can God call and use an unbeliever as a craftsman to deal with a horn in a nation? Yes, God can. God is able to call anybody he's created. It doesn't make them saved or redeemed, but he calls them. Because you see an example of such a calling in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. And then we'll look at verse 4. It says, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and to lose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. God calls this individual called Cyrus my anointed. And for your information, Cyrus was a heathen king. God calls him my anointed. Verse 4, he says, For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you though you do not know me. Can God call an unbeliever and anoint him to provide solution to a nation? Yes. God can do that. He's the God of all flesh. He created all men, and he can use all men. In my estimation, there have been great craftsmen who were not born again Christians. I would name some of them later. But God can use that. That's what, so when I say God has called them, it doesn't necessarily mean they are born again Christians. It includes born again Christians, but not exclusive to born again Christians. God can raise people. Number two. When God raises a craftsman, the craftsman identifies with the people. A craftsman identifies with the people God has called him or her to. In verse 2, we read, The son of Uri, the son of her of the tribe of Judah. To be a craftsman for your people, you must be identified with the people. Bezalel was identified with the people. Now that identification can be by citizenship. But sometimes it can also be by sharing in the hopes and aspirations of the people. I believe 
There are people who have served our country who were white missionaries, who were not Ghanaians, but I believe some of them were craftsmen for our nation to build things here, although they were not Ghanaians. Some of them helped us to write our language. Without them, you and I would be talking, but we, can't, we couldn't write our language. It took some people to do that, to interpret our language for us, translate it, and put it into alphabets. Craftsmen, they solved a problem for us, they dealt with a problem that we're dealing with, but they were not citizens. They shared in our hopes and aspirations. Sometimes God raises craftsmen who may not be citizens. So the second qualification is that they identify with the people they have been called to. The third qualification is that the craftsman is filled with God's spirit. And in describing the spirit they are filled with, it is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It is not a healing ministry. It is not a preaching ministry. It is a special endowment and endowment for the person to have special understanding. This is what I call practical anointing. It is a yoke-breaking, problem-solving anointing. It is not falling under the power or shaking. It is a divine enablement that qualifies a person to function at a level beyond their age, knowledge, and experience. A craftsman. I believe personally Martin Luther King was a craftsman. At the age of 26, this man was making speeches to move nations. I mean, you look at that guy talking when... And, and, and you think, oh, he's an old man. No, he was in his 20s to his early 30s. But he, he provides a profound wisdom and insight into the problems of his people that people twice or three times his age don't have that perception. Because knowledge doesn't come from books. Knowledge comes from an inner witness, an inner wisdom, an inner understanding that gives you keen and acute sensitivity to the problems you want to solve. That is why if we think that books will solve our problem, we'll be in big trouble. Books don't solve problems. Books are good. I run a university. I must praise books. But, but aside of having book knowledge, you must have innate, intuitive, and instinctive knowledge and wisdom and understanding, clarity and precision of thought in relation to the problems you are dealing with. That's the third qualification. The fourth qualification of a craftsman is the ability to design solutions. It is said of Bezalel to design artistic words. Craftsmen are designers. They formulate solutions that are sharp and tailor-made for the particular horns they must deal with. The solution they design could be a social action program, a political response, or an economic agenda that fits the problem at hand. They can go to bed one night and wake up with a clear solution to a problem that people have struggled with for long periods of time. Problem. Solvers, solution. The fifth qualification of a craftsman is that they are able to execute concepts. 
It says of Bezalel, in cutting jewels for setting, they don't just cut the jewels, they're able to set them. They don't just design the problems, they're able to fit the problem within the context it must function in. They have the ability to fulfill their agendas. They're able to fit and set their solutions in the right context. Craftsmen are finishers. They have endless passion and energy for their jobs. When faced with failure and setbacks, they keep pressing on to see the end of what they have started. Number six, a craftsman must be a versatile operator. Versatile operator. Verse four, it says, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. He is versatile. They can work in changing times and seasons. They can work under different circumstances. Because, you know, when you're a craftsman and you're trying to solve a problem, the situation may change. You are negotiating with a solution with somebody, and then he changes the bargaining the, the arrangement he had with you. A craftsman is able to work in different situations. Work in different situations. He's a versatile operator. He can work in different places. He's not just a narrow-minded operator. And number seven, a craftsman is a team leader. He's a team leader. He's a team leader. It says, and I, indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I've put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Remember, there is Moses, there is Bezalel, he's a craftsman, but under him there are artisans. Not everybody is a craftsman. Some people are called to serve under a craftsman to bring their gifts, to bring their ability to work within a larger vision to accomplish something bigger than what their talent can qualify for. Not all of us will become craftsmen. God can use anybody to be a craftsman, but all of us may not become craftsmen, but all of us can be part of a process of working to dismantle a horn, because you may be an artisan working under a craftsman. For a craftsman to work effectively, they must be able to attract the right gifts to them. God surrounds craftsmen with the people who have complementary gifts and talent. Look at the craftsmen in the Bible. Moses was one. David was one. Nehemiah was one. Each one of them was a craftsman, and they had people supporting them. When we look at contemporary times in non-biblical discourse, Mahatma Gandhi, I think, was a great craftsman. Great craftsman. Without him, most of us would not have been independent. He broke the, part, the back of British imperialism. With his simplicity, he broke the back of British imperialism. Started the independence movement from India and right through to Ghana to the rest of the world. But it started with Gandhi. We think Nkrumah was great, but Nkrumah was learning from Gandhi. Gandhi was the original. Martin Luther King was even learning from Gandhi, a major craftsman. When 
at the time when they said the, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Nobody thought a British colony could be free. He broke it with nonviolence, without fighting. A craftsman. Nelson Mandela, a craftsman. I don't know how many women he's married, but he's still a craftsman. <laughs> it's not about, I'm not saying he's holy and pure. I'm not saying they are saved or born again. I'm just saying that God called and chose these people to execute specific agendas. Now, Gandhi could not solve all of India's problems. He was a craftsman to deal with one horn. Liberation of his people. Not the economic empowerment of his people. His people were poor when he was liberating them. But that's not his job. Because for each four horn, there are four craftsmen. And if I'm dismantling my horn, you can't tell me to dismantle the next one too. You have to trust God to raise another person to deal with the next horn. Nelson Mandela did not create money for South Africans. Because that's not his assignment. In fact, I believe Kwame Nkrumah was not a craftsman for economic emancipation. When it comes to economics, I think he had serious challenges. But when it comes to the political agenda of freedom, he was a craftsman for the purpose of liberating us from freedom. But he made some really interesting decisions on economics. I'm not going to go into that. But I'm saying that God raises such people. Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. I believe that Abraham Lincoln was a craftsman. Dismantled the system of oppression that had existed for so long. People thought it couldn't be done, but he dismantled it. He didn't solve every problem. Because many times we are looking for one solution fits all. One solution cannot fit all. No one person, no one president, no one government, no one individual can solve all the problems. Each one has a targeted problem to solve. And then somebody else solves another problem. And somebody else solves another problem. The danger is when one craftsman wants to dismantle every horn. So in the end, he's confused. He doesn't even know which horn he must dismantle. Each one must focus. That's why in my ministry, I don't do everything. I don't do deliverance. I don't do deliverance. If you come to me and say, there, there are witches in my family and they are watching me. My, 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 my maid is, is, is doing something like that in my house. Come and cast out demons. You're on your own. <laughs> do I believe demons can do that? Yes. Am I a craftsman? I'll, I'll still go to prophet. I know he will deal with that one for you. Because in this life, you must know which horn you can dismantle. You must know which horn you can dismantle. And if you try to dismantle everything, you'll be a confused craftsman who wastes God's time, wastes the people's time, and wastes your own time. So when Zacharias saw this vision, he saw the four horns and he saw the four craftsmen. And God says, these are the people I have called. They're going to deal with this problem. May God raise up craftsmen who can deal with the problems of Africa and set the captives free. We need a craftsman that can bring economic emancipation. The other time I was speaking somewhere and I said, yeah, I like when we grow 8% and so on, but I, 
at this rate will be rich in a very, it's going to take a long time. For us to really prosper, we have to be growing at hyper rates. 30% growth per annum, 40% growth per annum. People say it's not possible because nobody has done it. And so what? Nobody had been free until Gandhi came. Nobody has said that South Africa free until Nelson Mandela comes. Until there is a craftsman who is adequate for the task, we will be working in circles. But God is able to raise a person who is able to bring the right kind of growth. And may God give us the right craftsman. So what is the work of the craftsman? I'm getting ready to finish. The work of the craftsman. Zachariah 1.21, he says, And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that have scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. For the craftsmen are coming to terrify them. To cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. So what does a craftsman do? Number one, to terrify the horns. <laughs> terrify the horns. Craftsmen generally make oppressive systems uncomfortable. They terrify, they scare the powers that be. They are businesslike. But when they appear, the system of the horn begins to shake and get scared. What does a craftsman do? Number one, they terrify the horns and they do it by surprising the system. They emerge unexpectedly. They appear from unexpected places. And they work in unconventional ways. They terrify the horns also by shaking the system. They challenge the status quo. They speak a new language that is different from what everyone else has been saying. It was interesting when Margaret Thatcher called Nelson Mandela a terrorist and later honored him. People are scared of craftsmen because when they show up, as simple as they are, like somebody like Gandhi, the man, even if you look at the way he dresses, he looks so fragile and so weak. I think I, I, could, I could have handled, lifted Gandhi up maybe with one hand and just throw him up like that. <laughs> just a tiny fellow, but shook a system. It's not the size of the body. It is that explosive force of purpose that makes the horn terrified. Not only do they terrify the horns, they cast down the horns. They remove the oppressor and they repair the damage. They make right what has been made wrong. They remove the oppressor. They repair the damage. They reform the systems and they restore the people. I believe in every African country 
God must raise up craftsmen. Just two days ago, I googled the 20 poorest nations in the world. Almost all of them were African. So I said, maybe it's just 20 and let's expand. 25 still. A few places join us, like Haiti, you know, but they also were from here. <laughs> 30 Africans. So if you look at it, you, you surround, we are surrounded by poor, 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 poor. All our neighbors are poor. Our friends are poor. The AU is poor. So China had to build the AU building for the AU. I mean, that's, that's quite an interesting development. <laughs> you know, when, when President Gaddafi was around, he used to sponsor African countries. I mean, countries going to AU are sponsored. That means he pays their fare and pays their fee. And then he goes and he starts talking. I hear at AU meetings, the man could talk for five hours and everybody has to keep quiet because he has paid. <laughs> he has paid everybody's lunch, paid everybody's food. <laughs> paid people's arrears. And then he says, you sit down. For, talk five hours. They don't understand what he's saying, but they, they have to sit down. Because whoever pays your lunch has a right to talk for five hours. So at the highest level, at the AU, we have that image problem. And then when you project into the future, you look at the future, it doesn't seem like we are anywhere near here solving our problems. And I'm not just talking about Ghana. I mean, my, my Zimbabwe, my great country, you know, my uncle is president, you know, Uncle Bob. President, I like him. I, I think President Mugabe is one of the most brilliant African minds we've ever had in the second half of the 20th century. If I take Nkrumah out, Mugabe will be following very close in my estimation. But I think, you know, he was a craftsman for a purpose and he has finished the purpose. <laughs> you know, and there's no horn. So... When, they, when you've dismantled your horn of liberation, now there's no horn, you have to make somebody else your horn and, and dismantle him. So, you know. I mean, so you look at that and, and you say, wow, where are we going? You look at South Africa, we start from Mandela and then it goes down, you know, so you don't know where it's going again. I mean, is, is there hope? Do you see South Africa getting better or not? It doesn't seem to be getting better. Look at Nigeria. I mean, look at Togo, nice country. Small enough to manage and make rich. Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina, great country. I think they've really done some great things there. But it's all nothing really dramatic happening. Mali, Niger, Mauritania, Guinea-Bissau, 
Gambia with our cousin, President Jame. He means well, but you know, it's not, it doesn't seem to be going far. Hey, so, so you look around and you say, where is the bright spot? Where is the bright spot? Where? Can we say, that is it. This is what should be happening. Where is it? Maybe Botswana. Maybe. But if you look around, it seems as if the horns are having a field day in Africa. But we must pray that God will raise up craftsmen. And that when God raises a craftsman, we can see it. Because sometimes we fix our eyes in the wrong direction. And we can't see the craftsmen. I believe in this place there are craftsmen. Some of you are called to dismantle the economic mess in Africa. Because I believe in this church, there will be people sitting here who are richer than the government of Ghana. Yes. Because if the government of Ghana is going slow, you must bypass it. I believe if you say, Lord, I'm ready, I'm ready, he can put his anointing upon you. Some of you are called to dismantle all kinds of horns that have terrified our people. That we have not been able to solve. Look at agriculture. We had national best farmer not too long ago. He has five acres of land. <laughs> or 30 or so. They say 30, some people say five, some say 30. But 30 acres, national best farmer. 30 acres. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. It means everybody has less. So, the guy's done well, 30, but don't you think it would be great when we have national best farmer and he has about 50,000, 500,000 acres of cultivated soya beans or corn or something? You are that craftsman. I don't believe we need many farmers in Ghana. We don't need farmers. I think what we really need is big operators. It's not many people doing farming. It is one or two people. And in most nations who have food sufficiency, just about half a percent of the people are in agriculture. So maybe you are the agricultural craftsman. So when I come to your, fa your farm, you'll be like Abraham. you say to me, Pastor, look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. As far as your eye can see, it is my farm. That is what your farm must be. That is where God is taking you. I'm looking forward to the time when somebody in this church will build a brand new airport for Ghana. So that when we come, we don't come through Kotoka and get down and, and, and walk or go and take bus before we enter the airport. 
Somebody say, Lord, make me a craftsman. Say, Lord, make me a craftsman. I need to terrify a horn in my country. A craftsman is a person that God raises to be a solution to a confounding problem within his country. And that is what we want to be able to do through our church, through our ministry, and in this nation. A new generation of Africans who are not terrified by the horns, but they terrify the horns. May it be said by our children that in our time, in our generation, we change the story of Africa. We change the story of Ghana. So that when your grandchildren read the history of Ghana, they will see your name as the one who changed a particular situation. That's your time. That's your heritage. That's your legacy. That's your moment. And we are not going to sit down and just allow ourselves to be terrified. Thank you for listening to ICGC Worldwide Podcast. For more information or content about our church, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ICGC Worldwide.